All right, everyone. Welcome to the Toasty Kettle Podcast. My name is James. I'm your host. And today we have episode 18. So before we dive into the meat of today's episode, I wanted to take a moment to thank you all for listening. And if you have a friend or family member who loves podcasts, make sure you tell them all about what you're hearing and learning on the Toasty Kettle Podcast and see if we can't spread the word. I really appreciate all of you that do that and that do share the show with other people that they know. It really does help and it's much appreciated. So thank you very much. Now, for today's episode, we're coming off a two-week break. I had some work trips I had to take, and I am back with you now for this week's episode, and we're going to be talking with Chad. He is a co-owner of the Palace Diner in Biddeford, Maine, and it's a great discussion on what diner culture actually means. Now, the Palace Diner, that just happens to be Maine's oldest operating restaurant. So we get to combine some of that great uh, food history, as well as seeing how Chad and his business partner are evolving and adapting to the change in their local town in in Biddeford and, and how they're continuing to push that concept forward and evolve that diner concept further for their specific market, their target audience. So it's a great discussion, super fascinating, and uh, we'll get to it. Let's go ahead and dive right in. I'll have you start by introducing yourself. Yeah, my name is Chad Conley. I'm the co-owner of the Palace Diner in Biddeford, Maine. So tell me a little bit about the Palace Diner and how it got its start. Well, um, Palace was built in I guess there's two stories here. There's the story of the the diner car itself. Um, and, and there's its history. And then there's the story of, um, of the current rendition, what we're doing at the diner now. So the original story, um, is that the diner was built in, in 1927 in Lowell, Massachusetts by the Pollard dining car company. Um, so, you know, like a lot of, uh, diners in the area, it was sort of a prefab type of situation. Uh, Pollard wasn't a big company, you know, I think Worcester, the Worcester company was like the big one that you you still see a lot of Worcester diner cars all over the place. And, uh, Pollard didn't really build that many. And we're the only, I think there's two still functioning in the country now. And we're the only one that sort of still retains some of its original character, um, so it was, it was, uh, commissioned by the, the guy who, um, originally ran the diner. Um, it was brought up to Biddeford, which is a, a mill town, you know, huge, think like huge brick textile mills, um, like you see all across New England, um, it's 20 minutes South of Portland. Um, it was brought there to, um, you know, feed the mill, the mill community. It was originally open 24 hours a day and their busiest times a day, as I understand it, were the shift change times. And, um, it was, you know, a place where someone could come in and get 
a cheap, hearty meal and be out the door in five or 10 minutes. Um, and, uh, it sounds like in its early decades, it did really well. And then it, the story parallels the story of the town and of, you know, manufacturing and, and textile mills, especially that type of industry in the Northeast. Uh, and, you know, slowly the diner wasn't open 24 hours a day, uh, wasn't open seven days a week. Uh, it wasn't serving the same sort of, uh, quality food to the same sort of clientele and it uh, sort of turned into a more uh, generic greasy spoon type place. Um, so that's, that's sort of the, uh, the little bit about the beginnings and the, and the middle of the diner itself. Uh, and then when, when we came along in 2013, um, the, the most recent owners before us um, had owned it for a few years and uh, there are, um, a local family who sort of took it on as a, as a family project. One of the sons was really interested in running the diner and they thought it would be nice to give it some, you know, much needed, uh, renovating, especially in the kitchen, um, and, and spark some new life into the food. Um, after a few years, they realized, you know, they just weren't restaurant people. It was demanding a little too much from them. So they, they put it on the market. And, uh, and me and my business partner came along and, um, it was, we had never run a restaurant before, but we were looking to open our first, uh, we weren't thinking diner at all, but, uh, we saw this is a great opportunity to sort of get ourselves established, uh, without a major investment and started, started renting, um, that, that fall and opened up in the, in the spring of 2014. Okay. Well, that's great. So I think that kind of follows the spirit of how these diners were intentioned originally, right? It was a a prefab place, allowed people to get established without a lot of overhead, allowed them to get into the industry without having to commit to a massive brick and mortar building. Yeah, I think so. I, I think it also... You know, we, we sort of, another way that it parallels that original intent is that, um, you know, we recognize the town is changing. It's coming out of a, like a lot of Northeast mill towns and like urban areas all over the country and world right now, the town is on an upward trajectory economically. It's doing well. It's seeing a lot of positive changes, it's seeing a lot of like younger, young professionals moving in. Um, so there's this energy that hasn't existed in the last like couple generations in town right now. And um, we were a little anxious about sort of bringing our, what we thought this food could be, you know, we have like three Michelin star background and fine dining background. We didn't want to do that food, but we wanted to make it more elevated and, and we wanted to bring uh, attention to detail and level of quality that doesn't typically exist in a diner. Um, to this space and we were nervous about it because we felt like people would you know locals would maybe be a little uncomfortable with our approach a little bit more expensive um but then you know something that i've come to feel pretty strongly about is that the, the diner just needs to be it needs to reflect the the population of the town it needs to be a, a gathering place for who, who the people are that are the you know the um, the people who are making the town run on a daily basis, 
whether or not those are textile mill workers or not. And right now, it's not. It's somebody different. The profile of that person is very different. And so I think what we're doing is, is in the same spirit of what the original founders of the diner did in that sense as well, if that, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I actually really love that idea, that take on on diner culture. Um, and and that's kind of what you see when you look at diners that have opened up around the country. Um, obviously, they stretch back to the early 1900s. And, and yeah, they've they I think that's spot on. They definitely reflect the population that they that they serve. And you, you see that with like um, in Detroit with a lot of the uh, Coney Dog stands and, and restaurants around the Ford factory and the auto factories mm-hmm. where it was a quick place yeah. that people, you know, in between shifts or on a break could hop in and, and out really fast to, to get a really quick bite. And that's kind of what served that local population. And so, yeah, that's really mm-hmm. cool. I, I really like that take on that. Definitely. Yeah. And it helps, you know, inevitably there's for any business that's just starting, there is a process of, of customers coming in with expectations about what you're doing. And then those expectations not being met because they are thinking that you're going to do something else. So in the beginning it is hard because you have a lot of people who grew up in town who, um, you know, their parents or grandparents worked in the mills and they came to Palestine as a kid when it was something different. And now they're getting older and they come in and they see younger crowd with tattoos and the music's a little bit louder and the prices are a little bit higher and it feels it's like feels a little foreign almost even though it's still just a restaurant serving american diner food the energy behind it is a little different and so i think in the beginning that, that was hard for us to see that some types of people didn't like what we were doing but um over time as our customer base has grown and and we've become uh, an institution in town again uh, I've seen that it is, I, I think, a good approach for for the business and also for the town as well, um, for us to sort of stick to our guns and, and, and make sure we're doing it the way that we really feel um, is is the best approach for the town. Yeah, you know, I, I interviewed Frank Steiner in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and they had a very different approach where it was, um, mm-hmm. we're going to keep doing things the same, the exact same um, some minor updates and tweaks to the menu to keep it current, but in large part, you can still get the same classics. And when I think about diners, I, I think about those classic scenes from movies, right? Like with, um, Marty McFly and back to the future, the, that fifties diner yeah. feel and, and vibe. Yeah. How have you been able to maintain that classic diner nostalgia with what you're doing today? Well, in in some ways, it's been easy because we have this really fun space. And the best thing that we could do as the operators who have inherited this space, this diner car, is to just not touch it. Uh, we don't. We try not to apply our own like aesthetic sense to the diner car at all. It's 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 you know it's not an original 1927 diner space. You can tell when you walk in, like oh, people. Like this material feels like it's from the 50s and this material feels like it's from the 30s or 40s and this feels like it's from the 80s. Uh, it, it's, it is sort of a mashup of decisions that people have made over the years, but it comes together in a way that feels right. 
and we mm-hmm. felt like it was important that that we sort of don't touch it or we we continue along in that spirit you know when it comes time for us to replace something essential uh we do it in a way that makes sense for today and and we move on uh just like the previous operators have done but it's kind of it looks really beautiful the way it is right now so when it comes to the interior and the visual experience people have when they walk in uh that felt really easy um you know music is a big cue for people i think that we put together a really uh, a playlist that makes sense and that makes people feel like the experience um clicks with their expectations in the way that you're talking about mm-hmm. um while not being you know i think when you talk about this marty mcfly scene or this sort of like there's like a very like sort of bubblegummy like very like early elvis type of thing that people think of like a very mm-hmm. innocent uh american feeling and and we have a little bit of that but we inject a little bit of edge and some extra energy and and we pull in music from a few different decades rather than sticking to that uh you know that sort of maybe early 50s like uh that's that song you know that song like uh lollipop lollipop like that right, kind right. of energy like we don't we don't just stick with that we we get into the later 50s and the 60s and we branch off into types of music that um maybe influenced that type of pop and rock and then other types of music that came after that um just to, so that we're speaking a language that uh, people from today can understand and appreciate um, without feeling like we're hitting people over the head with nostalgia in like a fake or disingenuous way. Um, another thing we do that is sort of hard to explain unless you've, unless you've eaten at Palace is that our food, even though it's prepared by, you know, highly skilled chefs and, people who have that experience in fine dining, it, it really is, you know, it's just classic diner food. We, you, if you look at the menu, it's like tuna melt, corned beef hash, stack of pancakes, French toast, like two eggs, potatoes and toast, cheeseburger. Uh, there's a few exceptions to that, but when we set out to create the menu, we said, okay, let's just look at, you know, dozens of diner menus and, make make the Venn diagram and let's just make our menu like the center let's make let's let's make our menu like just the essentials of what american diner food is and let's just focus on that let's try to do it in a way that most people will agree is the sort of the best example of these dishes they've ever had uh so that when they leave they dream about it for years to come they tell other people about it and and let's do it consistently so that when they're back in the area for summer vacation next year and they have that same French toast that they were dreaming about experiences the same and it's not disappointing. So it's really mm-hmm. sort of it's, on the food end, it's simple. We, we feel like we've just got to do a really, we've got to sort of make sure that we're making all the right decisions and, and, and doing it right and not cutting any corners. And, uh, and I think that's a really important part of what has made us a success so far is that people are expecting a little bit of a greasy spoon diner experience, which you can have anywhere in the country. But then when the food comes, they're, they're pleasantly surprised by our approach to it. 
Now, a, a question I had while you were while you were talking about that, you know, you, you talk about all this experience that, that you all have where, you know, you come from like Michelin star backgrounds and fine dining. And does it ever get boring executing these these classic diner staples? I, to me, I mean, I can speak for myself in that sense. I don't find it boring at all. Like as the person who, you know, we don't really change our menu much and that doesn't bore me. It's a challenge enough just to make sure that we're executing it consistently day in and day out. Uh, and then the cooking of it is so, you know, I've been cooking in that kitchen, the same food for five years now, and I don't cook nearly as much as I used to but it's just really fun it's fun like as a cook it's fun food to cook and it is fun when like that that sort of like uh short order fast paced style of cooking it's pretty Mm -hmm. different and and less complex in a lot of ways than this sort of fine dining approach but in a way that just makes it more sort of relaxing and fun (laughs) it's like really great to get in the zone and have a busy saturday morning and uh, you know, this is food you're really familiar with as a cook. And, uh, I, I really enjoy it. I don't, I, and, 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 and that we are so well received and that, that people keep coming back all the time that we're a busy restaurant. That doesn't make me, that does, it means I'm not feeling motivated to make like big creative changes because what people enjoy there is that we don't, that we don't do that, that we just stick to the basics. Right. Right. So with a restaurant that's been open for so long, uh, and now you're relatively new owners to the Palace Diner, mm-hmm. are there any? And we're the sixth. We're the sixth. Uh, the sixth operator since it opened. Okay, has it been continuously operating that that whole time, or have there been gaps where it's been closed and waiting for the next people to take over? As far as I know, the only time it uh, stopped operating um, because of a gap in ownership was uh, for the few months before we reopened it. And, and when, so when we saw it, it still had, you know, all the gas was still hooked up and the refrigerators were still, all the equipment was in there and everything was ready to go and it was in great, great condition. It wasn't sort of this like decrepit, dusty thing that needed a ton of work. It was very much a functioning restaurant, uh, but it had been closed for, you know, a few months. Uh, and then there was another time, I, I don't know the details of it, but um, at some point the diner moved. It's, it's on the edge of a parking lot. Um, at some point, my understanding is in the 80s, it was moved to its current location across the parking lot from its original location. Uh, and then a proper kitchen was was added to it, which is the kitchen we use today. Before that, it was just a diner car, so the cooks were just stood in front of the counter and uh, and cooked right in front of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I imagine that's a pretty significant renovation that would have happened in the '80s. That probably would have taken several months. So it, it was probably closed for a few months at some point in the '80s. But other than that, as far as I know, it's been open since since the '20s. Okay. Have there been any stories or legends that you've inherited as new owners that that have been passed down? Well, you know, we get because something that's nice that it's been in the same spot for so long is that people will come in and, um, you know, 
talk about how, you know, when they were kids back in the like 40s and 50s, they used to come here with their family. And that's a really sweet thing for people to share. And we also get people who occasionally will stop by and say, hey, my grandfather used to own this place or my great grandfather used to own this place. And uh, it's nice for me to be here again. And uh, there's been a lot of people like that who have like a family connection to it. And, and that's really nice. Uh, it's just nice to have a piece of history like that, that other people feel, uh, you feel like you've got a community of people that you didn't even ask for. that are like rooting you on a little bit, which is, which is great. Yeah. So what, what motivated you guys to take over the Palestiner and what would you say has been the best part of that adventure for you guys? Well, we were originally looking to open, um, a dive bar in, uh, in Portland. And after a few months of searching around, not really finding the right space, not really finding a potential project that fit our very meager budget. Um, we decided to branch out and, um, look in the communities around Portland to see what the real estate situation was like there. Um, still with this sort of dive bar idea in mind. And, um, weirdly enough, we had named, we had like established our LLC and we had named it, decided that our business name would be Palace. So we, Palace LLC was our corporate name without ever having like, without coming across Palace Diner at all. Um, <laughs> so like we were on this path to open Palace, a dive bar. Uh, and a few months in, we go down to Biddeford and, um, Within, you know, an afternoon, we made more progress in Biddeford than we had made in months in Portland. Um, just by chance, we stopped in the local coffee shop. We sort of walked down Main Street and just happened to meet the right people um, and who were really interested in talking to us, showing us around and introducing us to more right people. And um, we peeked into the diner that, that day and it was for sale, which was intimidating to us. We weren't looking to buy anything, but after talking with owner he sort of saw something in us that um he liked and uh we decided he decided he'd be comfortable leasing it to us for a little while um to to start uh, with, a, with an option for us to buy it later on um so that's just sort of how it started we were like well this thing is called palace which seems serendipitous and it's also really cool and it would allow us to open a business uh without spending a ton of money or borrowing a ton of money uh, it just seems like a fun opportunity. And uh, at the time, um, you know, we, we just I don't know, we just thought it sounded great. We thought it sounded like a really fun project to dive into. And it was sort of freeing, too. Like, we had created this, like, conceptual umbrella that we had put ourselves under of this dive bar. There's something really, um, really uh, freeing about having that umbrella defined for you about you know inheriting this concept of american diner it's got 15 seats it's got to be american diner food uh and you've got to stay true to that vision and so it, it having your options limited by by fate in that way is sort of nice it gives you a direction to start moving in it gives you creative constraints to work under um, and, and I think that was really good for us at the time because we hadn't really gone through that process of creating business before. Um, and I think it helped us to focus when we might not have been able to focus, uh, as well, uh, on our own. Uh, and I think, you know, the best you asked what the best thing is, I think the best thing has just been the, the unexpected, 
success that has come with it that has allowed us to build a really positive reputation in the community. And um, we've both, me and my business partner, we've both gone on to open other restaurants on our own uh, that are doing well now, working on a third restaurant right now. Um, And it's really that foundation of Palace uh, that people allowed the dining community in the Portland area to say, Oh, these guys are doing something cool. And, uh, and you know, there, I think there's a little magic in the building that uh, allowed us to, allowed us to pull that off. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. That it sounds like it was meant to be, <laughs> you know, that you guys yeah, have done a great yeah. job with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's been a great home. We purchased it a year ago. So we know we no longer rent it. We bought the property from the previous the previous owners and, and that feels really good too. We, we feel like, uh, we're here to stay. Like we're no, we're no longer thinking, okay, well, what do we do to get through the next six months? Uh, and what happens if the lease doesn't get renewed? Like, how do we figure this out? Are we're now thinking, okay, how do we like set this up so that like <clears throat> when we're gone, this business is still functioning well. And mm-hmm. uh, we're thinking, you know, we're still thinking about the next six months and what to do, but now we're thinking, okay, five, 10, 15, even longer, like 50, 60 years. Like, well, how do we want to set this business up so that um, it's a sustainable thing? And, and when you're leasing it and it's a short-term lease and you're not sure what the situation is, you've got you've to scrape together a living off of something pretty quickly and you can't justify reinvesting in it. And, and we're at a point now where it's a solid business and we're really looking forward to making sure that we are we, we put as much back into it uh, as we can to make sure that it's in, in a good place to continue to be that sort of center of the community. Right. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's interesting when I interview uh, these companies and restaurants that each generation, each owner kind of leaves their mark and their stamp on the business. And it definitely sounds like you guys have, have come in and, and while you're trying to keep it true to what it was, you've also defined it for, you know, the, like you said, the next decade or two down the road and, and you've, you've made it your own place, which is, is great to see. Yeah. Yeah. So real quick, if, if I'm looking to find out more about you guys, are you on social media or where, where can I go to find out more about the palace diner? Yeah, we're, we're most active on, um, when it comes to social media on Instagram. Um, I think the handle is either just palace diner, all one word or palace diner, M E. Um, and then our website is palacedinerme.com. So the website, you can see, um, you know, some gallery of photos, a little bit about us, um, and our current menu. And then on Instagram, you can sort of get a, a better sense of, uh, uh, what the culture of the place is like and just looking at photos of food and the space, uh, and the staff, um, since, since we opened, well, great. Well, we'll make sure to link to all of that in the uh, in the description. And I wanted to thank great. you for coming on today and, and sharing your story with it. Yeah, thanks for your interest. It's been a pleasure to, pleasure to talk to you about it. All right, that's all I have for you today. We have nothing for the kitchen, again, due to that two-week break there. But... 
Uh, I have some great recipes lined up for the next few weeks. So make sure you check that out at ToastyKettle.com. You can sign up for our newsletter. Make sure you're not missing any podcast episodes or recipes as they post. Thanks again for listening to the Toasty Kettle podcast. And I enjoyed having you with us for today's show. Hopefully you learned something about diner culture. One thing that really stands out to me as I do these interviews is that you have all of these different owners throughout the generations through these different food companies and restaurants, and they all seem to have their own unique stamp on the business. And it's been really interesting to hear Chad's take on this in that as the town has changed and as the population has changed and as the working force has changed from, you know, factory and mill workers to now more of that urban uh, young professional population, they've been able to adapt their menu and their concept to stay true to the diner roots while continuing to serve their new clientele that, that are taking over a lot of American towns in uh, today's America. So uh, again, interesting conversation. Absolutely grateful for, uh, for Chad for coming on the show. And thank you for listening. Until next week. <laughs>